My husband Tim and I have been trying to hike every week. And if you know me, you'll find this a bit surprising. I've been fairly unfiltered about my resistance to outdoorsy things, activities, and smug about Coloradans' uh, affection, intense affection for exercise. I mean, you have to give me this. Isn't a marathon enough of a challenge? Do we now have to run ultra marathons? A little intense. But I changed my attitude about hiking once it dawned on me that hiking is really simply walking in the woods. Before my epiphany, I thought I had to climb a 14er to be a hiker. But alas, a hike can be a slow walk through a shady forest or a sunny field. And sometimes one does have to climb over a rock or two. And I've discovered my legs work just fine. I can do that. Being in the mountains each week has given me an appreciation for those people who say or describe themselves as spiritual, not religious. That the outdoors in the mountains uh, is their church. That watching a golden sunrise or a burnt orange sunset is really a spiritual experience. And I completely get it. The divine presence envelops and drenches the whole world. Last Monday, I felt awe watching the yellow aspen leaves rippling against the cobalt blue sky as if they were singing, holy, holy, holy. Christian theology calls this um, experience um, of, of experiencing God in the natural world, natural revelation. Now our story today from the last 15 chapters of Exodus is about God's revelation in beauty. Both the beauty of creation and the beauty of the human creation of sacred space. Sometimes stories preach themselves so I'm going to let this story do that. Moses is God's intermediary who spends loads of time at the top of Mount Sinai with God in a cloud, communing like friends. Moses, however, has to keep descending down to the people below, leaving God on the mountaintop. And Moses gets tired of leaving God behind. But God is not interested in being down with the people. God knows, and we all know, we can be frustrating and tiring, right? We can be hard. And God knew this. And at this point in the narrative, one could characterize God as spiritual, not religious, on the mountaintop, we don't have to bump up against humans who bug us, right? We can just bask in the beauty of nature where nothing is required of us, such as to love our neighbors as ourselves. God says to Moses, I've decided the people need to build me a sanctuary, a beautiful sanctuary. 
a traveling tabernacle, a place for me to dwell. It must be created exactly as I say God instructs. And Moses agrees. So God begins right where every dream of a building project begins with a capital campaign. (laughs) Tell the Israelites to take for me an offering from all whose hearts prompt them to give. You shall receive the offering for me. And they came, everyone whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing and brought the Lord's offering to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its services and for all its sacred vestments. So with enough in the bank, God gives Moses the detailed architectural plans for this new dwelling place. The detailed description of God's design goes on for six chapters from 25 to 31. Now remember, the two creation narratives take up two chapters in the book of Exodus. So God is really serious about this tabernacle. The Lord describes precisely how to craft the Ark of the Covenant, the table for the bread of presence, the lampstands, the curtains, the wood framing, the altar, the linen cloth hangings, oil and oil lamps, vestments for the priesthood, a bronze basin, spices, and exactly how the incense should smell. God spares no extravagance for the creation of this sacred space. The divine plans are Orderly, elegant, detailed, and wholly prodigious. And to execute the plans, God calls forth and equips two artisans whose names you've probably never heard before. And yet these men are essential to the success of this building project. Like so many saints who serve in the church without notice, I encourage you to take heart. These two artisans work behind the scenes throughout this building project, and they get no fanfare or real recognition, and they were keys to its success. In chapter 31, God says, I have called Bezalel, probably never heard that name, nor will again. I have called Bezalel, and I have filled him with divine spirit, with ability, intelligence, and knowledge in every kind of craft, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood in every kind of craft." Moreover, I have appointed with him Oholiab, and I have given skill to all the skillful, so that they may make all that I have commanded you. And Moses is the project manager. And after the end of the precise instructions of how to build this tabernacle, God says to Moses, tell the people, six days shall work be done. But on the seventh day, 
you shall have a holy rest solemn to the Lord. This command to rest tucked right in the middle of this building campaign says rest is important for you. Rest isn't for God's sake. Rest is for our sake so that we don't overwork. God had liberated the Israelites out of Egypt from under the Pharaoh's control and oppression. And God says, I'm not like the Pharaoh. There are no brick quotas in my house. You work six days and you rest on the seventh. God is merciful and fair. So the project seems to be moving along swimmingly. Moses journeys up the mountain per usual, this time with his teardrop trailer. I added that. <laughs> He's going away for 40 nights, 40 days, 40 nights. But while away, this time, the people panic. And Aaron becomes a supremely anxious leader. He devises a plan to craft a golden calf to stand in for the presence of God. And Aaron doesn't invite gold offerings from the men and the women. He demands them. The Jewish sages said, with earrings the Israelites sinned, and with earrings they were redeemed. The golden calf rebellion infuriated God. So the Lord tells Moses, he is going to wipe out these ungrateful people, and the two of them are going to start a new church with new people. And Moses says, with all due respect, people are the same in every church. Stiff-necked, he says. So let's hang in there, Moses says, with these numbskulls. I'm really taking liberties with the text. <laughs> but I think it's a good translation. So let's hang in there with these numbskulls. And if they can't follow the commandments, then you can wipe them out later. And the text says, God repents. God relents and changes God's mind about the disaster God planned to bring on his people. The capital campaign resumes. The Lord again asks for generous, warm-hearted, free will offerings toward the building. And I love this part too. The people still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the artisans who were doing every sort of task said to Moses, the people are bringing much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord commanded. So Moses gave the command. The word was proclaimed throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for what they had already brought was more than enough to do all the work. That's a successful campaign. I think a campaign grounded in shame is a, is a campaign that could, is successful. So they brought too much. The construction finally begins. Moses keeps checking in on the artisans to see if they are on schedule and under budget, because that's what PMs do. And finally, the work is complete. 
And the artisans present the tabernacle to Moses to secure the certificate of occupancy. And when Moses sees that they've done all the work, Moses blesses them. Moses shows the Lord their amazing, precise, and obedient work. And God responds by telling Moses, this is how and when and where you will set up the tabernacle. And Moses puts it together. And just as the Lord instructs, he finishes the work. I think it turns out that God is spiritual and religious because the book of Exodus ends in this way. Then the cloud covered the tent and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The Lord is so delighted with the beautiful space they constructed that God said, when I'm in here, when I'm in the temple, in the tabernacle, don't bother me, just wait. When I come out, we can keep journeying toward the promised land. So that's what they did. Stage by stage, they journeyed with the presence of the Lord. That's a story that is not in the lectionary, that Christianity doesn't often tell that story, if ever tells that story. But what does this ancient, unusual story mean to us and for us? As we heard, I hope you heard, beautiful space matters to God. Creativity and artistry are commensurate and reflective of God's character. Where do creative and artistic people get their skills and gifts if not from our brilliant creator? Because humans have always strived to connect with the divine, humans are co-creators crafting exquisite spaces in which the holy might dwell. We build this space, and this space builds us. We are formed by this space. This community on the corner of Montview Boulevard and Dahlia has been shaped by this building for over a hundred years, well over a hundred years. And we come to this space week in and week out to do these peculiar things, to perform rituals and use liturgy and speak language that is so peculiar to the world because we are being formed into the image of Christ and we come together to be formed into the image of Christ. We say to one another, you are a beloved child of God. You don't have to do anything to earn your belovedness. Our children are told that when we put water on their heads, they have been adopted as God's own, sealed in love forever. Friends, this space whispers to us the prayers of over a hundred years. You can't get that on a mountain. Amen.